This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, Greg picked the film that features the most frightening natural hairstyle since Eraserhead. That's right, we're talking about No Country for Old Men. in case you didn't get the reference, for those of you on YouTube, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you're going to have to look it up if you don't know what I was talking about. I was thinking Dick Tracy for some reason. <laughs> I know I looked at you funny. I don't know. I don't. Who am I thinking of? Isn't there an Eraserhead in, in Dick Tracy? I can't I remember. I don't know. I've only seen it like once. I don't know. Eraserhead. David Lynch. Uh, that's, um... Yeah. I don't know. I, I That's his first major... That that hairstyle looks like it could actually be achievable, unlike um, Anto- Anton's in this. Yeah. <laughs> Javier Bardem. But uh, it took um, a long time to film Eraserhead just because it was David Lynch's first film. So the actor who played that role had to wear that hairstyle for a long time. Good for him. Who was that actor? I don't know. Okay, I have to look it up. Doesn't matter. I wasn't prepared for a follow-up question. Hi, everybody. Hello. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back. Again. Here we are. Thanks for listening. We're recording in the evening. Have a good week. (laughs) (laughs) A nice rainy evening. Um, We're both hungry, a little bit tired, so we're hoping to keep the energy up for you. So I got my wine. Yeah, we're good. I could either get real sleepy or real hyped up. We don't know. It is a experiment here. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's not super late. I mean, we've done done some crazier stuff later before. Like that time where we actually sent the pizza back. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> okay um before we get started i was listening to our fargo episode which was the last episode and something hit me because we were talking about steve buscemi's character carl and how he ends up fighting his partner because as he's leaving to go get the rest of the money he said he's taken the car that was given to them by Jerry. And his partner says, well, you're going to have to pay me for half. And he turns around and he's pissed off and he's going to fight about half. And it just didn't dawn on me the ridiculousness of that. He had a rest of like a million and a half dollars waiting for him somewhere. He and a- he's going to fight over what was the cost of a, a 1980s B, uh, Oldsmobile. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't like twenty, much. maybe t- not even twenty grand. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. twenty grand. It was probably more like eleven, maybe ten. Right. Yeah. So he's gonna like yeah. stand his ground and get killed over five thousand dollars. It's. I just it didn't right. dawn on me before, and I just think it hadn't, thought, those, it hadn't dawned on me either. Actually, those little things are brilliant about that film. Yeah. Well, he was pissed because he got shot. Yeah, he was pissed. He got shot. Didn't want maybe, to take maybe, advantage. Maybe anymore. he didn't think. Maybe he didn't think that guy would do anything. Maybe. But that's just a clear-cut case of not thinking ahead. Yeah. You've got all this money waiting for you. Go get it. Yeah. <laughs> Struck five, it off. Five grand. Probably would have cost him five grand to pay him for half. Right. Yeah, good enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's one of those movies, 
to to hit the Fargo thing again, that's one of those movies that sits with you. Like the more that like the more time you have to think about it, the different things that you have to think about. Yeah, and I think that's part of part and parcel to a Coen Brothers movie because I think this week's movie that we did, which is No Country for Old Men, um, did the same or does the same. Yeah, I, probably. Yeah, the first time I saw it because this is this was only the second time I've seen it. Uh, this isn't. I don't think that this is a. Uh, rewatch and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch type movie. I mean, it's really, it's. I mean, well, we'll get into it. We'll, yeah. we'll get into it. Okay. But, but yeah, it, it. I'm I'm at work thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Oh, he could have. Yeah, I probably should have. That you know that kind right. of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's one of those movies that stick with you, which is to me, in my mind, a hallmark of a. a of good a great movie. movie? Yeah. yeah? Uh, good enough. Good movie. All right. Okay, so um, let's start the round of questioning of um, why did you select this film for us to watch? Well. Whoa, that was a yawn. Excuse me, the rabbit hole. (laughs) The rabbit hole had been opened and dove into with Fargo, I figured. So, um, Was this always on your list? No, it wasn't because I didn't know that you hadn't seen this. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think I asked you about this right before we recorded Fargo. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I had I had I my movie remember. I had my movie to pick locked and loaded for two weeks because it was um uh, it was it was a rabbit hole that was started by bad boys so oh. but but I figured I figured <laughs> that this would be uh I mean appropriate to talk about it it's you know um I actually think I looked it up to, to uh, on the streaming to where we could watch it and saw that we could see it for free so I that's one of the reasons I kind of went with it too. that's why I asked you last week week comedy or or right. drama but okay um I saw this movie. Five or six years ago. It's been a while. It's, and, well, it's two thousand seven. Yeah, maybe? it so. was probably it was probably four or five years ago that I saw it, and um, I just thought. I mean, there's a lot of good things about this movie. There's a lot of I didn't realize that it got quite the acclaim that it got. I, I did know that it won Best Picture, and after I watched it, I was like, eh, really, the first time. But I mean, we'll get into that as well yeah. too. So yeah, uh, that's why. Okay. What did you expect when you uh, when I asked you to watch this movie? Oh, look at you asking that question. It's almost like I gave you a list. Um. <laughs> you know, it'd be great if I only had to remember three fucking questions. <laughs> I Well, I had heard a little bit about this movie, um, especially the Anton Sugar character, just because I've heard it kind of lumped in with other great film moment analyses and, and things like that. Um, so I kind of knew what was going to go on, but I just kind of didn't expect the performance uh, that they, they got out of Javier, Bar- Javier, 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 Bardem. Javier Bardem. He's Spanish. Spanish. Um, and I just didn't expect. I, and I should have because it's a Coen Brothers movie. And I think the more I watch Coen Brothers movies, the more I'm like, God, I wish I could tell a story as well as these two can. Um, well, don't give him too much credit on this one. We'll get into that later. Well, yeah. I mean, I, it's based on a novel that I know. But I mean, the way that they tell it, the way visually versus, you know, having a voiceover and dialogue. And I think we've talked about the whole show don't tell type of thing. I just, it really did blow me away. Um, and the more I, I've listened to analysis in order to prep for this episode, the more I'm impressed. Good enough. Uh, I didn't expect the story when I, when I 
first saw it the first time, I was like, you know, because you'd heard. Uh, I mean, like, because you know, even on the 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 other podcast, Top Five for Fighting, we did the villains challenge two mm-hmm. two Halloweens ago, right? And we and, had Anton on and the Anton list. Anton was on the list, and he progressed fairly well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had seen it before then, but I didn't, you know. I, I, and this we will get into a little bit later as well. I I don't picture him quite the way some other people do, to be to be honest with you. But to hear about how oh my god, this guy played this unbelievable bad guy, you're thinking just mass hysteria and chaos Mm-mm. and i didn't expect and and it was really just you know, as you right. as if you're watching this and you haven't seen the movie you should stop and go watch the movie because it's yes. definitely worth it it's but um yeah. it's just happen chance it's just happen chance that the events that went down went down right and i think that's uh, we can get into the character analysis of him a, a little bit further down the line too because he just sees himself as an arbiter of fate um but i think his uh, well, first of all, his performance was voted by psychologists as the closest um, to a real-life psychopath in was the in the movies. According to a January 2018 article in Business Insider, a group of psychiatrists studied 400 movies and identified 126 psychopathic characters, mm-hmm. and they chose Javier Bardem's portrayal of Anton Sugar as the most clinically accurate accurate portrayal of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Right. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it is a on the on the outside it seems very subtle, but as you watch and and rewatch certain scenes, I mean, it is incredibly layered and incredibly nuanced. Um so no wonder he got the Academy Award for that. It's just yeah. it well, is it's it's intriguing. Um you always pay attention when he's on screen. Um and it's I don't know. I just thought it was, I, if anybody's performance kind of felt, I mean, and this is no uh, judgment on on his performance because I think the performance was good, but the one that was probably most forgettable to me is Josh Brolin's. Well, he was just everyday Joe. Yeah, he was just he was just a cowboy who you just know a cowboy who, who who you know was was right. was getting by. Well, you since you've touched on it, why don't we just talk about? We'll start with talking about Javier Bardem and his okay. character and everything. Do you want me to do the summary? First you should probably do the summary. Jump first, in, I guess. T- talk about what this film's about. No, I don't want you to do the summary. I need you to do the summary. You need me to do it. I need you on that wall. Okie dokie. All right. Um, okay, so this is No Country for Old Men. It is a 2007 neo-Western um, by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and is based on Cormac McCarthy's 2005 novel of the same name. While out hunting, Lewin Moss uh, gr- um, finds the grisly as- aftermath of a drug deal gone wrong. Um, he goes looking to track the last man standing, um, and comes across um, him dead up against a tree uh, and a big old bundle of cash in a briefcase. So um, he knows better, but he can't resist and doesn't leave the cash behind, takes it with him. And the hunter then becomes the hunted when a merciless killer, a huge, beastly, bulging man... <laughs> Named Anton Chigurh. You didn't pick that up? I caught it. All right. I'm just trying to remember what movie it's from. Christmas Vacation. There it is. Uh, He picks up his trail. And uh, Anton... Picks up his trail mix. Yeah, his trail mix and his his trail. He was hungry. 
Uh, a man who sees himself as an agent of fate, he kills mercil- mercilessly, but not indiscriminately. Um, also looking for Moss is Sheriff Ed, or Sheriff Bell. He's an aging lawman who reflects on a changing world as he tries to find and protect Moss. And like Fargo, the body count just keeps piling up. In fact, the body count, I used to feel like I could gauge a movie by, you know, is it more or less than the body count in Fargo? Not that there's anything monumental about the body count in Fargo, but this is definitely more than Fargo. Yeah. Definitely more. 22, I think, is the body count. 22 is the body count. And I think we we surpass Fargo in that you know first scene with Lewin. So <laughs> I don't know if they actually the drug deal. I don't know if they actually did they actually count those in the in the the part that I read. I'm not sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. go ahead. We'll we'll get to it. Okay. All right. So the movie stars uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Sheriff Tom Bell, Ed Tom Bell, um, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh, Joss Brolin as Lewin Moss, um, a feature with uh, from Woody Harrelson as Carson Wells, another um, gun for hire who's uh, tracking down the bounty, and Kelly McDonald as Carla Jean Moss. Now, this movie, obviously, if it's not a Coen Brothers movie if it's not exploring something else with the subtext. So this movie um, and the book... Um, is really about fate being kind of random but inevitable. Um, there's also this very colonist feeling of doing the right thing doesn't always lead to a righteous outcome. Um, you know, we have this in, in terms of um, when Lewin, um, I'm just going to call him Moss, when Moss comes across the drug deal gone wrong, there is one guy who's still alive and he begs for water. And he leaves them there. And in the middle of the night, he decides that he's going to go back and get the guy water. And that um, basically gets him marked for death because the cartel um, tries to chase him out. And of course, this is when um, Sugar comes in trying to find the money and track the money down. Um, Even something as nice as, you know, nice little small talk um, can put somebody potentially in harm's way. So this is um, that. And then, of course, the aging and the inevitability of time and change um, with Sheriff Tom Bell trying to struggle with the new face of evil and crime and um, compared to the old days. Well, let's start out with the doing the right thing can get you in a whole bunch of trouble. I, I got 50 years of proof for that so i didn't i didn't need to watch this fucking movie to find out that if you do something nice for somebody no good deed goes unpunished (laughs) i mean square it then cube it let's let's do that um there's a yeah there's a lot of a lot of the different things yeah i i thought it was funny that you know i mean she she straight up asking where are you going he goes do something damn full stupid right and you know if he hadn't gone back what are the chances that they would have found him? Probably none, because right. he had found the transmitter eventually. But mm-hmm. um, there's a, there's a lot of different things in this movie. You're right that they do well, talk about it. it. It is a typical a typical Cohen right. movie. But to what I said earlier was I'm not trying to take anything away from the Coens because um, we're going to get to it a little bit later. I did a little bit of research. Uh, I, I'm putting I'm beginning to put the Coen brothers into the same categories that I put Tarantino. I'm not a massive Tarantino fan, but yet every time I watch one of his movies, I'm like, okay, it was pretty good. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a couple that I wouldn't care to see or whatnot, but um, 
Uh, I, I almost kind of maybe want to go back and watch Burn After Reading again. Yeah, I said that last week, and you were yeah. like, nope. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, maybe maybe we... Okay, I'm going to go out and straight up say, not go out on a limb and say, I'm, I'm going to straight up say, sometimes I miss dark humor, and sometimes I miss satire. Yeah. Okay? Uh, I had a discussion with somebody last week with the other podcast, and this the guy knew movies like it was... To no no end of tomorrow. He was amazing. There's a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. And we had a discussion about, you know, sometimes good movies. I said sometimes good movies aren't good and they're still popular. Right. And he says, Well, what, you know, what's a good movie? And I said, Well, it's a you know, a movie to me that I enjoy watching. And then I stopped and thought about it. And the movie that we were talking about was Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. Big Trouble in Little China is not a good movie, right? The special mm-hmm. effects are bad, the dialogue's weak, and he goes, he goes, Well, Maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe that's what they were making. Right. That's what they were going after. And I go, okay, because I, I watch a movie and I, I want to see Star Wars. Or I want to see Endgame. Not the action, but the production value. You know what I mean? Right. I, I acknowledge that there are some movies out there that are made poorly and that's what they are. So I miss things right. in, in movies a lot. And I, I will admit that I probably miss a lot of the dark undertones and the dark things. Um, You know, one of the movies that I have seen from Tarantino was uh, The Ridiculous, not The Ridiculous, The the Eight. The yeah. Hateful Eight? The Hateful Eight. And I watched it and I'm like, man, this is just another typical Tarantino pile of garbage. Blam, but, blam, blam, swear, swear, swear. Yeah, but, yeah. And as, but as you wa- after I watched it, I'm like, damn, okay, well, okay. So maybe it's about I just don't right. see movies the right way. Well, I think too when you're looking at um, the Coen Brothers or or some, you know, really almost auteur filmmakers, um, it's the subtlety um, that you just don't pick up on. Um, yes. Like for instance, you have that scene, um, the first scene where you kind of um, are introduced to the idea of Anton as an agent of fate where he's at the gas station and irritated by the man behind the counter. Uh, one of the things, if you notice, if you watch it again, if he, the man behind the counter has all these um, fan belts behind him and they're almost ominously looking like nooses, like, there, I mean, it's just these small little details that are put in and it's just layered on each other. And you can kind of get lost in trying to look for those details. But right. you have to know to look for them. And I think on a first watch, you usually don't. Right. Right. What I was, what I was getting at when I was talking about those two before mm-hmm. is I'm not taking anything away from them and making this movie. But this movie... The dialogue is almost exactly as it appears in the book. Right. And the book was written by, and I can't remember his name. His name is, I just said Cr- it. Crape, Chrome, Crom. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a CC. So it's, it's two Cs. Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy. Right. He also wrote a movie, that, or a book that was made into a movie called The Road with Viggo Morganson, which I've never seen. And I, I want to see it, but I hear I, it's extremely dark. I hear the, hello. I hear the adaption um, is also not as good as this one. Like this is. Yeah. Well, this is this is literally. They said okay. okay uh, I've got it here somewhere. Basically, it says. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll find it. But uh, more more or less, it's the, the dialogue is is word for word. There is several times. There are several scenes that are in the book that are not in the movie that actually bring a little bit more light to a handful mm-hmm. of things that happen. Yeah. But. But 
that doesn't not mean that they didn't tell a good story here. Well, and, well, and I think there's a lot of visual things that they did that really mm-hmm. made this movie work. Well, I think with the book too, you get a lot more of Ed Tombell because he's kind of um, running this kind of interior monologue throughout the book, whereas you don't get that as much in film because it doesn't translate over as well. So there's probably less dialogue in the movie and they're showing you rather than telling you um, about certain things and they're leaving certain certainties out Okay. And leaving you, I mean, the one thing I really do appreciate about Coen Brothers movies is, and we talked about this before with certain filmmakers, is they respect the audience's intelligence. Yes. And they leave you to come to the conclusions based on everything else that they've shown you up until that point. Um, the, you know, the the scene at the end where... Um, you know, because Anton follows his own little code and, you know, he told Moss that if he doesn't turn the money over and and reckon with him, then he's going to go out and kill his wife. And it's not Shiger that kills Moss in the movie. Um, So he eventually comes face to face with Carla Jean. And throughout the movie, we've been seeing him being very protective of his boots when it comes to blood. Well, him overall, his whole body overall. Mm -hmm. And when he comes out of Carla Jean's house, after we get this kind of non-conclusion between their conversation, he checks his boots before he leaves the porch, which lets us know what happened. And those types of, of visual storytelling where it's quiet and you're really forced to pay attention, I think is, I, I enjoy, personally. What's up there that you're looking at, Kitty? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, see, there's a couple of things that I, in the movie that I didn't understand until I was doing the research. Um, and I never caught it. And it's even though the fact that he doesn't mind killing people, he doesn't like getting blood on him. Yep. So like when he shot the guy in the in the the bathtub, he pulled the curtain and shot him. Right. And as soon as he was done there, I'm like, why is he taking his socks off? That's so gross. It's probably blood on the floor at that point. He took right. his and he picked his feet up off the floor. So Right. I, I wanna I wanna touch on what I think about Anton Chigor's character. Okay. This would be a good conversation. This should be fun. Yeah. Okay. When I think psychopath, mm-hmm. Did they call him a psychopath or a sociopath? Because I know there's a difference. Uh, Carson Carson called him a psychopath. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no. They chose oh, Javier okay. Bardem's portrayal as Anton Chigurh as the most clinically accurate accurate portrayal of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. A psychopath to me is the Joker, or someone that is just willy nilly, you know, Jason, that's, just killing people. That's probably more of a sociopath. Okay. I see this guy. And this, don't don't make fun of me, and and don't think that I'm a weird guy. I see this guy as a businessman. I see him as he's been hired to do a job. He just happens to be a good killer. So does that mean that all special operatives that work for the government that are in and out that are assassins are they sociopaths? Well, he seems psychopaths. N- I think I th- I don't see. I don't. See- think that because you know we, we had talked this had this conversation after the movie 
And you had said... You know I don't remember that. (laughs) Well, let me remind you. All right. You had said that he was just thinking of killing the guy behind the counter at the gas station because he he could place the the tag on the car or something like that but he ends up not really killing him now he could have killed the two kids at the end because they had seen his face he you know i, I he's he's operating on this higher level of thought i don't think to him it's about the job he embodies this very strange code of uh, and and his philosophy. I, I see him as this really messed up philosopher, right? Okay. Because the conversations that he has and the way that he he thinks about his role in terms of of fate, and he doesn't say much a lot throughout this movie, but you get the sense of, of who he is. I don't then, then think it, psychopaths are necessarily because I think I think years of Hollywood has done a dis, not a disservice to psychopaths, but have put psychopaths off as you're going to know a psychopath because they're crazy. Um, they're really hiding in plain sight, and they're motivated um, by a lot of other things, but most of all, preservation of self. Then, then explain to me why he's a bringer of fate when it was acceptable for him to make the old man call the cut to in the gas but station. Because that's fate, right? He. But then, why didn't he do it to the kids? Because he, I don't know. I mean, he's got he's got a code, right? Because let's let's look at looks look at what happens in the gas station scene versus the scene with the trailer park manager. Okay, the trailer park manager is rude as fuck to her him right you're allowed to say fuck on this podcast. Fuck. okay he's he's rude she's kind of rude because she's like i can't give you the information yeah, I, mean, I can't I w- do this i would and, say it the same way back right, somebody I, said the same I, thing I to me can, three times. I, can you not hear me i did not you know what i mean and he looks away for a second and then he looks back at her and then he's like you know what she's following her cold she's following her rules i'm gonna let her live okay where the other guy is kind of this wishy-washy guy he tries to be nice right and he that gets him the grief, right? Because he sees he's from he sees the plates are from Texas or Dallas. Dallas. And he asks him a question, just trying to make small talk, which he cannot abide. And he lays into him. And what's beautiful about the performance in this scene is he goes through so many layers of these emotional beats because he goes from like irritated to like mocking to disdain. Right, because he he's asking all these questions, um, and when he finds out that this, it, it what what triggers him because when he, he that triggers him when he asks him like and he's got his little peanuts and he's eating the peanuts and yeah he's got his little peanuts yeah <laughs> I said little peanuts um, that's why he's a psycho <laughs> but that the bag of peanuts becomes a ticking time bomb. Because when he puts the empty wrapper down on the, the the counter, that's it. It's up for him. The guy behind the guy behind the counter, right? It's that's the time he flips his coin and says, "Call it." But there's little things that kind of tick him off. And when he finds out that this isn't a place he grew up, this isn't a place where this is his own thing that he created from scratch, he finds out that he married into this, and this is what fate fate led him here. And he's like, okay, well, if fate led him here, then 
fate led me to him. So now fate's going to decide whether this man lives or dies. And it's a, it's not, it's a, that's, that's great. Fantastic. I, I agree with everything you just right. said. Well, fate happened to lead those two young boys on bicycles over to his car when he was in the accident. So why not give them, they could have, they could have been out on the, uh, in the field playing baseball. Right. They could have been at home playing their Atari 2600. They could have been at the movie theaters watching, you know, right. Mac and me. But the boy, you know, I, I think it's the boy that gave him the shirt that was like, you don't need to give me money or nothing. I'll, I'll give you this. Right. So he's, again, living by a code. Now, that's the only time I think being nice actually got somebody somewhere in this film. Right. Got him 100 bucks. Got him a bloody 100 bucks. <laughs> but hey rent I mean, is rent but I, even like but that's the thing with anton Chigurh. i mean he's doing this whole thing because i mean and we can talk about the the his confrontation with carson because that was the most confusing to me but um well the the, the confrontation with carson is part of my i have questions yeah actually so okay well we can we can save it for then um but when you know he's He's kind of like this machine throughout this whole thing, like even like taking care of himself and, you know, digging bullets out of his legs and giving himself medical care and all that stuff. But at the end of end of the film, we don't get a showdown conclusion between what, who we see as good guy and bad guy. And we get the opportunity for it again, but it never happens. But it's fate that gets him. Now, he doesn't get caught. And it's not a satisfying conclusion to our American sensibilities, but he's not exactly walking away unscathed. He's got a bone sticking out of his, out of his arm, so you're going to think that he's going to be um, incapacitated for quite a while and probably not bounce back from this as much, right? So yeah. where's he going? What's going to happen to him? He gets, you know, he's not immune to fate. Which is one of the reasons that I wasn't a huge fan of this movie the first time I saw it. Because, you know, as we've, that conclusion. as we've yeah. said before, as the girl, the girl with the gifts, it did not end. To me, that's not a, that move. This movie does not have a happy ending. It, 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 no. it doesn't. Because oh, no. because the good guy, air quotes, good guy is dead. Um, the the guy who's in charge of getting rid of the bad guys has retired because he can't. Right. He really doesn't want to have to deal not, with it anymore. And he doesn't appear very happy. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't. Feel, and and the bad guy kills a woman and walks away. So, right. Yeah. This was the first Coen Brothers movie that they wrote where they did not write some of the parts with specific actors in mind. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I heard. Um, that's yeah. I actually because I was listening to an interview with the Coen Brothers, um, Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem today. Um, they cast Tommy Lee Jones first. Um, then they got Javier. Um, the the problem they had was casting from for Lewin Moss. Mm-hmm. So, do you know who they had cast before Javier Bardem? No, Heath Ledger. Oh, they had Heath Ledger cast, and that's who they went to, and they wanted to, and he had accepted it, and then he came back to him and said, "Look, I I got to take a break for a little while." Um, do you know what he went and filmed instead of this? The um, imaginary Marvin Marvin Heimer, the one that got recast with uh, Johnny the, Depp. The, yeah, the, the Dark Knight. Oh, was it the Dark Knight yes. after this? Cause because his last film was the Great Imaginarium over yeah. something. I can't. Sorry, I'm. But he um that up. the the the. <laughs> Mr. Mag- Mr. McGorm's Ma- Magic Emporium or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he won 
actually, because Javier Bardem won Best Supporting Actor for this. Right. Uh, Heath Ledger won it in 2009. Posthumously. Yeah, posthumously, yeah, for, for The Dark Knight. Um, so that was odd, but I, I surprises me that they write their movies, and, and, and I guess it doesn't surprise me. I guess when you're the Coen brothers, you pretty much go to somebody and mm-hmm. say, um, on that, on that, when Joel and Ethan went to Javier Bardem about playing the Shakira character, he he said to them, "I don't drive, yep. I speak bad English, and I hate violence." The Coens responded, "That's why we called you." <laughs> he said he took the role because his dream was to be in a Coen Brothers movie, which yeah, he I had mean, said that in the in the interview as well, which probably is why he doesn't have a whole lot of lines, but. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Um, I don't. I don't think I would have liked Heath Ledger in that role. I don't think he would have been as imposing. Yeah, Bardem as, was as Bardem. Scary motherfucker in he this movie. He was very scary looking. He has the, he, you know, the the contours of his face are are very much. But he's also taller, I think, than Ledger. Oh, I'm yeah, sure he is. Was. You know, I did learn something about Woody Harrelson in this mo- research in this movie that I didn't know. Did you know? Did you did you come across this? No, I don't. I don't do the trivia stuff. I just okay. was doing just the, basically the film analysis. So. All right. In the novel, Sheriff Bell says of the dope dealers here a while back in San Antonio, they shot and killed a federal judge. Carmack McCarthy set the story in 1980, and in 1979, federal judge John Howland Wood was shot and killed in San Antonio by Texas freelance contract killer. Charles Harrison. Okay. Woody Harrelson's father. Oh. I did not know that Woody Harrelson's father was a hitman for the drug cartel. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. His father was in a maximum special... What do they call it? Maximum special security prison in, in Colorado. He's, he's died since. But Woody Harrelson's father was the person in the book that the the sheriff was referring to. Hmm. I had no idea. I had no idea his dad was a convicted killer, especially of a federal judge. Hmm. That is crazy. And then to play the part in this is even crazier. I had heard that there was some kind of a lot of different ties with Woody Harrelson's family, but I've always kind of just dismissed them as urban legend. Yeah. Let's talk about Woody Harrelson's character. Okay. I liked it. <laughs> I did. I liked it. I don't know why. I just thought he is just smooth. He was um, he was as smooth and smarmy as Harvey R. Bardem was quiet and imposing. It was really um, Excuse me, ma'am. Did I leave my boots underneath your bed? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's gonna be hard to keep the I have questions separated this week because mm-hmm. there's there's plot points I want to talk about. So as I follow the movie, there's a drug deal goes bad, mm-hmm. okay? Both sides shoot it out. One side has the money. One side has the heroin, mm-hmm. okay? Um, Llewellyn shows up. He takes the money. He doesn't take the heroin. I am to understand that the Stephen Root character, who actually does not even have a name, guy, his name in the credits is Guy Who Hires Carson Wells, <laughs> which is actually pretty fucking funny. Um, I am to understand that he is the he is the purveyor of the heroin side of this drug deal. Oh, really? That's that's how, no, no. 
that's how I understand it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, he, no, because he had the money. Because um, when Javier Bardem comes in and shoots Stephen Root, and he's talking to the accountant, he said something about the tracker and the money. And the accountant said, well, he, he feels, well, he felt that more you know having more people be able to track it down was was a uh, uh, better right and to to which Shigur says you use the right tool or where is it hold on do 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 you Somebody's like you you use the right just you use the exact right tool, right? Kind of use you know, and and that was another thing that kind of pissed him off about the guy. Like I said, it's his weird code, right? I'm the right tool. So so what was Stephen Root's involvement in this is the it's, account then? It's the money. So I don't know if he was getting the heroin. Because he's the one who puts the tracker in the money. Stephen Root is. Yes. So okay. So this is leading me to the point that, that that I was I was sorry sorry you picked the one right tool that was the line sorry okay Stephen Root is a part of this drug deal and he hires Anton Shigur to go get the money okay because Llewellyn took the money so that's why he hired Anton Shigur correct am I am I to get c- the money back c- get the money back okay but when Llewellyn showed up at the at the drug bust or when he went back with the water the heroin was gone right right no. That was when the sheriff went out there, was when the heroin was the gone. The heroin was gone, okay, so the so cartel the had gotten it, yeah. So why did he hire Shigur to go get the money and then hire Carson Wells to go get Shigur? Probably because bodies were piling up. I, I don't know. I mean, I th- again, that was the thing that kind of, I think that's the reason that Stephen Root was dead, because he sent Carson Wells after well, him. Well, that's definitely the yeah. reason that he's dead, but why did he send that? See, we don't... I would have liked to have known what was going on there. It was basically just like, hey, um, right. Woody says he'd like a part in the movie. Can we cook some? You, you see what I'm getting at? Right, so, but Carson Wells is in the book. So, I mean, it's... I know that Carson okay. Wells is in the book, but they probably say, they explain the involvement of Carson Wells in the book to to why he he's brought in. Does Shigor do something? It's just literally Shigor is hunting the money down, and in the next scene... Stephen Root's hiring somebody to hunt Shigor down. Shigor didn't do him wrong. Mm-hmm. He didn't blow him off. He didn't... So, Maybe he was so, just getting impatient. I mean, okay, most guys with money get you impatient. You don't think they could have addressed that in the movie to just let us know just a little bit what was going down? It was literally like, let's just pit these two bounty hunters against each other because it'll be fun. That's what it felt like to me. No? I don't know. I mean, I think you'd probably have to see what the the, the reasoning was in the book. Well, I'm probably going to end up reading this book because <laughs> I would like to. I would like to know a little bit more. There's. There's. Sounds like there's a lot of cool scenes in this book too that didn't happen in the movie. So, but it was literally just, I'm Woody and I can get him. I can find him and I'm going to go get him and I'm going to find him. And Shigura knew the whole time that he was coming. He he really did because it. What, what was Woody Harrelson in the movie? Ten minutes. Yeah, not mo- not long. And he basically it was three scenes. Not long. It was a scene with Stephen Root. Was a scene where he tracks down Llewellyn and meets Llewellyn, and there's a scene. And the scene Shigur. where he follows into Mexico and comes back, and then the scene where Shigur kills him. Right. So I would I would like to, because uh, that's that seemed like that character had significantly more street savvy 
than he did? Was it just to make Shakur look that good? I I don't know. I would like to. I would like yeah. that explained a little bit more for me. Well, I mean, part of that scene too is he asks Carson what he knows about Shakur, because I don't know if well. That's a yeah. There's that's a lot for I have questions, right? Because Shigur knows knows who he is, Shigur, and maybe it's because Shigur killed the two other guys that hired him and gave him the tracker. Yeah, what was his reason for killing them? Yeah, probably just fun. But that's not how he envisioned himself. No, that's probably. I I think he was pissed about the tracker. To be honest with you, I don't know. Maybe he wanted more of a challenge. Maybe he felt that. No one trusted him. I don't know. Did they tell him there was a tracker? They gave him the tracker. They gave him the receiver. That's right. Because he said, do you have the thing? Right. Okay. So I'll I'm, be less drunk next time we watch one of these. Are you drunk? No, you're not drunk. Are you drunk? <laughs> you you got to listen to what I say there, sweetheart. I'll be less drunk the next time we watch one of these. Oh, watch. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. For those, for those that My want listening skills some ex- ex- explanation on that. We had I'll we be had less drunk when we record. Next we had time. a had a couple of friends come over to watch this, um, and we had did we did chicken wings and stuff for dinner, and it's the same two that were on the Attack of the Killer Donuts uh, episode, Jason and Barb or Jacob and Barb, and um, I have not been drinking since the New Year's because we're going to be headed to Vegas here pretty soon, so I want the debauchery to have be fun there. But I'm also working on trying to get back down on my weight, and I had a little bit of Jim Beam Apple that a night. A little bit is well, a little bit understatement. A little, they, well, the the first drink told two friends, and then they told two friends, and they told two friends, and and woke up the next morning, and there was a lot of Jim Beam missing. So it was uh, <laughs> that was my bad. Yeah, I was quite surprised. But uh, I, I, I don't think I was quite drunk when that was going down at that point. But right. I, I just I, I, I just thought it was funny to bring in a character that supposedly had that importance. Because basically, Shigor is a freelance, whatever you want to call him. Gun for hire. I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not even going to call him an assassin because he's not an assassin. He's just out to get a job. Uh, the second part, and, and then you bring in somebody who's basically the same thing. Right. They're going to know each other. Right, just like in Gross Point Blank, all the assassins knew all the assassins. Mm-hmm. So, I was just I, that was it was hard. I, I I want to talk about his character because he was very smooth and very good, but on the other hand, he just kind of kind of felt unnecessary. Kind of felt like maybe we could have done some more with Tommy Lee Jones or with Llewellyn, or right? Because there was a couple scenes that were cut out that I thought would have been very good to have had. Mm-hmm. I think it it serves for more exposition for Shigur. Um and I also think that um, I wonder. Actually, don't I don't think I wonder because um, I don't think that the Stephen Root character or or whatever the equivalent is in the book gets killed in the book because he ends up bringing the money back in the book. No, he doesn't. In the that's what I've in heard the, in the book. He returns the money to the Mexican cartel and starts to work for them. Oh, got it. Okay. I think I thought I, I thought I wrote that down. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I'll have to find it. But there's. Uh, I, I have guys. I'm sorry. I have so many notes for this that I want to. Um, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't take it back to Stephen Root, or I think or he takes it back to the cartel. It says the cartel. Okay. Maybe Stephen Root is the cartel. 
I yeah. Let's let's, let's leave it at that. Okay. But, but but he does in the book he does return it. So I I he I'll, does return the money. Yeah. I'll back off my he doesn't take it back to Stephen Root. He does return the money and actually starts an agreement with them. Right. Right. So I don't I don't know, but um, so that could be it too. But I think that um, again, like when he kills, it's 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 not. I wouldn't say it's. It's junk. sometimes when he kills in this movie, it's strictly utilitarian. I need your vehicle. Boom, you're dead. Um, I need to get out of custody from a deputy. So he kills the deputy. Sometimes when he kills in this movie, there's a, a reason behind it. Or it's almost, I don't want to say it's like a cat playing with his prey, but that the scene with between him and Carson... Because um, Carson's playing a cool, but you kind of get this giveaway because when Carson is talking to Llewellyn in the Mexican hospital, uh, he says, you cannot reason with him. You cannot bribe him. You know, he is going to probably kill you because you've inconvenienced him. Uh, so there's, you know, you've got Carson sitting back playing it cool doing the, you don't have to do this, you know, I can give you 14 grand right now, or, or how many, I, he's trying to reason with him the same way he said that Moss could not, um, but he's not flinching, and Shigeru's kind of waiting, because he could shoot him at any time, it's when the phone rings, and he jolts, that he sees now that, yeah, he's, he needed to see him be afraid for some reason, because he wasn't admitting the situation he was in See, before in, he could kill him. I didn't interpret it that way. I interpreted the phone ring as helped si- uh, cover the sound of the gun, but... Yeah, no. Okay, fair enough. It was He was waiting for a specific response from him because you can see it um, in when he kind of tilts his head after he jumps like that. Like, that's what I was waiting for, you know, <laughs> but... Again, he's uh, Javier Bardem's performance is just such an interesting watch in this that doesn't, I, I think that the, you know I could probably watch this more than more than a few times. Doesn't he answer the phone when it rings? No, he doesn't. Shigeru does. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Shigeru, yeah. and, and it's who is who is on the other line? I can't remember. Moss. It's Moss. Yeah, because Moss is taking up Carson's offer. Yeah. Okay. Did the case look familiar that the money was in? Should it have been? Yeah. Okay. It's the same exact case they used in Fargo. Get out. That's so yeah. funny. Isn't that neat? Was there an ice scraper in it? Uh, no, but there might have been a foot. <laughs> a foot of a foot. Um, the the scene... The, the scene where... Um, the hotel, were not the first hotel, the big hotel, the one that um, Llewellyn ends up going out the window and gets uh, the um, sugar shooting at him in the streets. Mm-hmm. Not the one where, uh, not the little moat. Not the little roadside not the, motel. Not the, yeah, the not one the, that's yeah, downtown. Not the motel, the hotel. Right. Um, that is an extremely creepy and tense scene. Yes. And I thought it was really well done. And had we not had somebody talking while we were <laughs> listening to it, when you've got the scene, because he's hearing the footsteps down the hall and he's trying to get himself prepared, you would have heard 
the light bulb unscrewing, mm-hmm. which <laughs> gives me chills right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, knowing the things that I know and the, the tactics that I've been taught, I know that he's just a cowboy, but he he was pretty fucking smart. Well, he was also a soldier. With with the way that he was doing mm-hmm. things, sitting in front of the door like that, that's the wrong place to be. You move off to the side, let him blow it, and when he comes through, then you shoot him. But right, uh, I get it. I don't think it's that way in the book. I think he's like behind the door or something like that. So, well, the book in the book that scene supposedly the Mexicans, and I'm not saying that as a derogatory term. They, the cartel. They they call them. The because he gets killed by Mexicans in this, mm-hmm. the Mexican cartel, they show up at that hotel at the same time that Javier Bardem does, and Bar, um, uh, Shigura kills all of them. He kills all the, the cartel. Oh. So that's why I'm trying to figure out the relationship between the cartel and Shigur and, mm-hmm. and the Steven Root character. Right. Because somebody, you, you've got two sides that are coming to the deal. You've got the people with the coke, and the or the heroin and the people with the money. Right. Okay. So Llewellyn takes the money and Root's upset about it. Right? Right. So if Root's upset about the money being gone, and now the heroin's gone as well, why are the why is the cartel upset? You, you see where I'm getting at? Because they're chasing down this guy with the money, but if they if they brought the heroin to the deal. The heroin, who who got the heroin? Because it was gone when Sheriff Bell shows up. So did the did the did the cartel go out and get the heroin? Now they're just pissed off because they think this guy you see what I'm saying? There's right. there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts and we don't understand why they're moving. I mean, right. they were relentless in chasing this guy down. Oh yeah. And in the book, they would have been relentless enough to know that he wasn't the one who killed the three or four guys outside the hotel. So that's why I'm saying I'm probably gonna read this book. I, I don't I don't mind reading. I like to read. But they they the way they have these guys set up and the way that they're they're coming at each other as good as it was i'm left with that why why are you why is that going down okay yeah that, you know i that, mean there's a lot of things that you know you cuz they were right on it right they were right on Llewellyn. they were right on carla jean Right, and had the mother not been as bitchy, they probably wouldn't have found the hotel that soon. <laughs> yeah, they were picking her up from the airport, and, yeah, you know, and everything. So, uh, how were they on it like that quick? You know what I mean? Right. And and I, I well, I think they were probably on it the same way that um, Shigura was, as far as maybe they found paperwork at the. They had probably been to the trailer too. They probably found the paperwork. They had the you know. They they knew they had the car. They knew the information, so they probably you know probably ripped the registration out of the the glove compartment or what you know. So yeah, but they were right on it too. So that's you know, yeah, I, there's, there's so many things that are left un they're, unanswered. They're, but they're I really think is. that's that's kind of a hallmark of a Cohen film too. Well, then then let's do this real quick. Maybe it'll answer some questions for you. this. is a long a long paragraph, but it, there is some things here that are that are addressed in the movie, in the book, but not in the movie. Okay. Ah. While what is seen in the movie is literally verbatim from the book, there were many scenes in the book that were cut from the script in the movie. And some of the major ones are, Shigur stayed at the hotel for five days after he was shot. 
and he didn't leave until the sheriffs arrived. The Mexicans arriving during the scene where Shigur and Moss face off in the streets, all of whom Shigur kills. Wells found an old woman in an apartment killed from a stray bullet from the showdown between Shigur and Moss and the Mexicans, so that's probably how he tracked them down. Sheriff Bell finding the owner of the motel where Shigur found Moss dead with a hole in his head from Shigur's cattle gun. An entire subplot where Moss picks up a hitchhiker on his way to El Paso after he retrieves the money, who he befriends and gets to know before he is killed by the Mexicans. Shigur entering, and that's supposed to be the person that plays the part of the girl by the pool, because the girl by the pool is not in the movie. Right. Shigur entering the motel room in which Moss was killed to retrieve the stolen money. Okay, so if the Mexicans hunted him down and killed him, why didn't they take the money? Because the money was probably in the vent. Right? No, no. This was... Oh, you think maybe maybe I he think did he the got, same thing twice? Yeah, okay. he got to the hotel. I put the money in the vent right. because when um, Tom Bell goes into the hotel room, you see the the vent grate on the floor with a coin beside it, which is another brilliant touch, probably both by McCormick and or McCarthy, and and the Cohen brothers because you got Moss when he takes he has a screwdriver and that's how he removes it, but. But Shigur uses the coin. Yeah. Right? So when you see the coin, you know Shigur has taken the money. Okay. I missed. Okay. Fair enough. Shigur returning the stolen money to its original owner and beginning a working relationship with the owner. So returning the money to the original owner. So that means Root wants the heroin and the... I don't know. I mean, that's... that's. I think you have a good question there because I kind of thought I had it figured out, but now I don't. Well, there's, so there's, we'll there's, find there's, out. there's another piece of trivia that I came across that makes me think that Stephen that the Stephen Root character was uh, was a setup from the get go. I'll tell you why in a second. Shigur sneaking into Carly Jean Grand's, Carly Jean's grandmother's house when they are not there and sleeping there overnight. Sheriff Bell interrogating the boys who made contact with Shigur after the car accident and the rest of the encounter with Carly Jean and Shigur, where Carly Jean incorrectly guesses the side of Shigur's coin. She guesses tails and is shot by Shigur after he explains to her that why he is killing her is out of his control. Um, so she, d- wow, because in the movie, she just refuses. She flat out refuses to call it. Right. She says, you have to do, you have to not kill me because you need to be, you need to be a good person. Basically well, is what you, she's saying. It's, yeah, you it's have not, to make the it's choice. It's not the coin. Yeah. It's not fate. You are deciding my fate, not the coin. And I'm not going to play your little game. And so that's interesting that it's not that way in the book. The book also explains by Shigur himself during a conversation why Shigur was arrested at the beginning of the book. Uh, also in the first scene of the movie. The only major scenes added to the movie were the scenes with the mariachi band. The last half of the scene where Shigur kills the man who hired Wells when he first encounters the accountant until that depends, do you see me? And the scene with the chicken farmer. Uh, the scene where Moss talks was, to a woman... That's creepy too. <laughs> yeah. The scene where Moss talks to a woman by a swimming pool is not in the book was an alternate scene rather than an added scene. It takes place, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, two other important alternate scenes were where Bell finding the identifying Moss's body in a morgue rather than in than the the crime scene in the in the in the movie. And Bell traveling to Carla Jean Grant grandmother's house to tell her of Moss's death there rather than encountering her at the crime scene. And also, even though virtually all of the dialogue in the movie is verbatim from the book, many, if not all, of the conversations between characters in the book were heavily condensed for the movie. Shigur? Moss and Bell never share screen time in this movie. So, speaking of the mariachi band, do you know what they were singing 
I do know Two that months. they were. I do know that they were singing, but I don't remember verbatim. So go for you it. You wanted to fly without wings. You wanted to touch the sky. You wanted too much wealth. You wanted to play with fire. You got it. <sighs> um, I think we probably could talk about Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, but I think we need to take a break. What? And I don't know about you, but I need a little water to wake me up. Well, ladies Before and gentlemen. I go, go. They just wanted to go dancing. Like so long. No. Don't. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> All right. We're back. Hello. We're back. Um, do you think... I was very surprised when I saw this movie the first time that Tommy Lee Jones was the lead actor, the lead, the lead build actor. Yeah, probably because of his name. Yeah. Shouldn't, uh, sh- but shouldn't... Sugar? Shouldn't Sugar be the... Pardon? Shouldn't he be a lead actor? Shouldn't he be the lead... Uh, he Actually, shouldn't have he been got, a... He I got supporting actor. Yeah, but how is he... I don't. Well, I find that hard to be a supporting actor. I think... Ed Tombell is... kind of an audience surrogate. Okay. All right, because he's he's not really partaking in the action as much as he's observing it, um, and a lot of it is you know his kind of I don't want to call it chicken shit demeanor, but really he he does a lot more of avoiding situations than taking them head on when they are of this serious nature or that level of evil. He is very 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 you know but he is commenting on what's going on well they they demonstrated that when he actually went to the hotel room right he they he, you could tell that he didn't want to open that door no he didn't want to open yeah, that door he, he didn't want to he be there s- he said in the beginning i don't want to face that kind of evil i yeah. i don't want to put my push my chips forward and and meet this evil that i can't comprehend or can't understand and that's just me paraphrasing but it's Pretty much what he said. Excuse me. I'm but is adjust my seat. That's here. all right. But is Shigura a supporting actor in that movie? Uh, that's what he was pitched as. That's what he won for. I mean, I mean, whether Woody, or not, Woody Harrelson's yeah. a supporting actor in that movie. Yeah, to well, me. he's you know, I mean, a featured actor in that movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> so okay. But yeah, I, mean, I guess you know it depends. Like because we talked about with with Network, the person who won Best Supporting Actor had what 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 a five not even five minutes maybe in that movie yeah true so um supporting actor i guess is flexible his rule his role his job was good enough that he became the first actor to win best actor in a supporting role at the academy awards the sag awards the bafta awards the golden globe awards and the critics choice awards it's a sweep he swept it and then he and then he went on to be a shitty james bond villain (laughs) (laughs) was he the shitty james bond villain beforehand though i think he was before no he was in skyfall wasn't he not skyfall he was in uh i don't remember i can't remember which one he was i think it was skyfall i don't remember yeah i can't remember but let's let's talk about tom bell because he is a little bit of a a disappointment (laughs) if you're expecting if you're expecting a hero moment from him you do not get it um, the most um, he takes charge in this movie is when he stops the guy for you know not having a secured load, 
um, in his truck after the guy goes deer hunting. Yeah, and what's, you know? he, and what's he say to him? You, you come on, you're killing me here, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, get this fixed. Yeah, exactly. Go, 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 him. He fixes it, and he's like, "Are you going to write me up? No, nope, get out of here." You know, that's like that's what he understands. Uh, in the book, I believe they maybe talk a little bit more about his um, military service because I believe he, believe he was a Ed Tom Bell. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe he was like a sergeant. Uh, was a sergeant in the army. I can't remember, but he's he carries a lot of. Um, guilt about being part of the war and being you know kind of sending his troops off to 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 certain death what war 19 the world war ii i don't know i have his age in 1980 it'd have to be world war ii right i i guess so i'd have to look it up um i'm i've i had it up here and now it's gone um but he is a very much um i i not want to say in awe of the way things were, I think he's a little bit naive about the way things were. In the beginning, he has that whole monologue. You don't see him, but you hear him talk about the, you know, the older sheriffs that didn't carry a gun. And, you know, so very anti-violence, very um, just just more about codes and honor. And he doesn't understand this new world. And I think, again, this this is a movie much like last week's Fargo, which is set in the 1980s. So the whole drug war, drug cartels coming into prominence in, in the United States. Um, so it, it does make sense. I think it is, I don't know how it's, because I think he's probably the voice throughout the novel. I think it is absolutely brilliant that the Coens don't, you don't really see Ed and you don't really get properly introduced to Ed until a lot has gone down. Right. So he's constantly behind. He's constantly behind this new evil. And um, well, most of the time, most of the time, the, the authorities are. Yeah. But it's purposeful. Right. It's just he's not equipped for this world. He is the titular old man. Well, I mean, he's in he's this, in his 60s or 70s at right, this point. Right. So he's been a he's been a sheriff from the 50s, the 60s and the 70s, probably maybe even the 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s. It was a lot different. Right. I mean, stuff started to go off the rails in the eighties. So yeah, I can yeah. see. I can see that. Well, it's funny because like he just <laughs> there's so many things that he does that are you know what you wouldn't consider anti-heroic, right? They go to um, Lewin's trailer, and Sheriff Bell sees that Shigeru's been there because he sees that the lock's been popped off. And he made has, the deputy go in he first. He made the deputy go in first. He has the deputy raise his gun. He's like, well, what about you, sir? And he's like, I'm behind you. Right. And um, even like he doesn't want to deal with the DEA or the FBI that has to do with it. He constantly puts them off. And before he leaves to go see if he can meet with Carla Jean or, or whatever, he tells his secretary, you know, tell my wife where I'm going, but wait until I'm gone. Right. Because he doesn't feel like he could just let her be on the phone. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, it's this very, very strange, almost milk toast kind of character. Well, he's wearing a badge, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's what they, he's what we call uh one foot out the door. Yeah. He, he's not yeah. interested in having to deal with something like this now because it's just, right. you know, do I really want to get involved in a, in a, at, at 70 years old, do I want to get involved in a case that involves a, right. a, a massive 
Mexican cartel drug gone uh, deal gone wrong. And a killer that's that's bold and brazen enough to kill with a cattle stun yeah. gun. Um, you know, those are the two main. He has uh, Shigar has two main things. It's the gun that he uses, uh, the stun gun, which or which he uses a stun bolt or whatever it call, it's called. It's yeah, for, it's supposed to stun cattle. Yeah. Um, he uses that to get in rooms and he uses that to kill people. And then he has his gun with the silencer. Um, that's supposed to be a shotgun with a silencer. They actually designed and developed that silencer for the movie because shotgun silencers didn't, uh, really weren't in full production until mm-hmm. like 2014. Yeah. What I do think is interesting is Belle and Segura are also made to be foils of each other in this movie, Right. They are very much alike, but they're very much opposites. Um, and you see it because each has a code mm-hmm. that they follow. Um, each is chasing Moss, but you have scenes in the movie like when they go into Moss's trailer where they try to put themselves in the place of the person they're tracking down. So they both sit down on the couch and stare into the empty TV and have their reflections coming back. They're both drinking the milk, although Segura is not as polite as Sheriff Bell because Sheriff Bell puts his milk in a glass. Um, and in the scene where... That milk was a bad idea, by the way. Milk was a bad idea. Um, and in the scene where uh, Bell goes back to the hotel room to look and Segura is actually in the room, right? Um, you see... Uh, Sheriff Bell step over the bloodstain, right? Much like he's been kind of avoiding keeping his boots and blood. Sugar's been doing that through the whole thing. Yep. So there's a there's a lot alike about them, but they are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Where you know, um, Sugar is this evil that Bell's been trying to avoid this whole time. But they're they're off actually quite alike. It's it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Well, that was the dynamic that they portrayed in Fargo with the Macy character and mm-hmm. the McDermott Francis McDermott character yeah. um, having the same personalities. Right. They were the the same. Good enough. Um, this was what I was referring to earlier. That this is what made me start to question. So the scene where Carson Wells is talking to the man who hires Wells, Stephen Root, that one floor in the building seems to be missing. All right. Okay. Now, I just always discard that because you know that skyscrapers don't have a 13th floor. Mm -hmm. Hotels, there's never a 13th floor. Okay. So this may refer to the fact that most buildings do not have a 13th floor, which many consider an unlucky number. Building owners often rename the floor 14 or give the floor some other use and rename it with a letter. The novel implies that the floor in question, the 17th, is not listed in the building's directory for security purposes and is thus missing. And it is possible they use this missing floor to process the Mexican brown dope. Oh. So this is, this again, this is why I need to read the book. Right. Um, I'm sorry. I, that wasn't exactly what you're talking about, but no, I came across no. it and I found it. You had to, you had I to mean, get it out. Tommy, Tommy Lee. It just, it was, it, the character surprised me, even mm-hmm. the first time I watched it. Because the law had nothing to do with this movie. No, it really? didn't, and that's and and uh, that's the whole thing. And I think it, you know, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is there to kind of share your confusion, 
and be able to wrap your head around it, but he does not get his hero moment and he's not looking for it. Yeah, but we are definitely less yeah. confused than he is because we see what's going on. Right. And, we, and what we... What but we... the confusion of how bad things, you know what I mean, how evil Shigur really is, you know, how dangerous he really is, which is something that Bell wants no part of. He just wants to get Carla Jean and, and Llewellyn to safety. Yeah. That's all he wants. Yeah, that's that's true. And it's it's funny because it's been like I told you before um, we had you know we were having a conversation. Um, someone in, in some of the analysis that I, I have, and if I can find it, I'll, I'll put it. I'll put a lot of different links um, to some resources because there's some really interesting takes on this movie um, by other content creators. So I'll try to make sure I put um, some really good ones in there. Um, but. One of them uh, basically said, "You, you know, you are expecting this is a, again a a, ne- a neo western, right? It is. It's got the some of the tropes of a, a classic western, but it's kind of set in more modern times. Um, and it and like most other Coen Brothers movies, there's a hint of kind of like a noir um, in there as well." Um, so what you get is you have your um, your traditional cowboy white hat in Jones. Um, you have your revisionist Western cowboy in Josh Brolin. And then you have this new creature in Bardeem. Um, and even though your traditional and your new guy share a lot of the same traits they're they're at opposite ends whereas kind of Brolin's kind of flitting around between the two of them right he's got no qualms about taking the money but he feels bad later and comes back for the water um so these are all all very kind of interesting things but the thing that this movie does not give you is a satisfactory showdown right you think you're going to get it between Moss and and Shigur and you are that gets stolen from you because the cartel kills him off screen. Yeah. Right. And then you think you're going to get it between Bell and Shigur when Shigur is hiding in the hotel room and Bell comes into the room. You don't get that either. You get this vague promise of something because you've got Bell looking into the room and what's looking at him back in this kind of fractured type of mirror is a shadow of him. So it's almost like you've got two cowboys facing off the white and the light and the dark, but you don't get it. You, you know, which again was one of the reasons that the first time I watched it, I was like, "Eh." (laughs) you know, but the more, the more I think about it, the more uh, I I think that's, that's to me, it's a hallmark of a, of a Coen brothers movie. I think it leaves you with more questions than answers. Right. Yeah, I I actually did a, a little bit of hole diving here about the Coen brothers because they were one of these teams that I've always that you hear about that I like like with Tarantino. Tarantino is this genius, and I watch a Tarantino movie and I'm like that really wasn't that good. You know what I mean? Um, now, granted, I based my original Tarantino thought off of Reservoir Dogs, which. If I guess if I went back and watched it, maybe I'd like it better. But I did not like watch watch it. I did not like it the first time it's, I watched it. I've never seen it. It's pretty brutal, from what I understand, as most Tarantino uh, movies uh, are. One scene is the okay. one one scene is, that I remember the is stuck pretty in bad. the middle. With yep, you. that part. Yep. But the Coen Brothers. Here's their filmography. Blood Simple was their first one. Crime Wave, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, The Hudsucker Proxy. 
Fargo, The Big Lebowski, The Naked Man, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, Intolerable Cruelty, The Lady Killers. I did not like The Lady Killers. Haven't seen it. Uh, No Country for Old Men, Burn After Reading, A Serious Man, True Grit, Gambit, Inside Llewellyn Davis, Unbroken, Bridge of Spies, Hail Caesar, Suburbicon, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and The Tragedy of Macbeth is the movie that they have that's in production that's on their way out. I've that seen, is a long filmography. That's a lot, right? Well, Blood yeah. Simple was 84, I think. Right. I the year got cut off on my notes, but it was it was a while ago. Blood Simple was a while ago. Um, I mean, Arizona was, Raising Arizona was 87. Right. Brilliant film. So, so of the ones, the ones that I've seen, I'm like, okay, they were pretty good. I saw, I, I mean, everybody's seen The Big Lebowski. Uh-huh. Okay. The Big Lebowski, to me, had some really cool moments. I don't think it's the movie that everybody makes it out to be, personally. But it was right. a good movie. Well, I, again, um, a lot of the Big Lebowski is philosophy. Yes, it is. Right, and if you're the not two divides. Lo- the two divides, um, and if you're not looking for that subtext, and you're not looking to deep do a deep dive after you've seen it, you know it can be entertaining, but you you're you're not going to get it. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, uh, oh brother, where art thou? We've seen it. I've said that that yeah. movie just didn't speak to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because uh, again, the satire and stuff goes over my head a little bit. Um, of of that list of things you haven't seen, is there anything you want to see? Uh, yeah, the man who wasn't there. I don't even know what that's about. What's, it's what is that Billy about? Bob Thornton? Okay, and. He some something about how he um he bribes he blackmails a barber and somebody else because he wants money to go into dry cleaning. A dry, <laughs> I don't know. It, but it, but it, I mean, the people in it are pretty cool. But, but like that's got a pretty good cast. And I don't know. I I mean, it's a Coen's brother. That that script right there, the Coen's brothers. You know. M- might not be too bad. Of that I've, list, I've, I've I've seen No Country for Old Men. I've seen Fargo. I've seen uh, True Grit, which was a remake, but it was still. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing True Grit. I'd like to see um, Bridge of Spies. Um, I, I would like to see Barton Fink, and I'd like to see A Serious Man. I'd like to see Barton Fink, but he, I don't know if I'd ever be ready to be that depressed. <laughs> what a serious man! A serious man, definitely Barton Fink, probably. Um, What's a serious man about? A serious man is about a uh, a serious man. Um, Are you sure? Yeah, he is trying to reconcile his uh, the breakup of his marriage. Um, he's trying to get tenure. He's trying to deal with all these things in his life, um, um, and he's trying to explore it through both physics and religion. Um, He's Jewish, and he, you know, throughout the the movie, he keeps continually trying to meet with a rabbi, and the rabbi is not there. Hard pass. But it is nothing you said in that synopsis <laughs> intrigued me in the least. I hear it is a really great film, um, but I hear it is just not something you want to carry around with you for a while. Good enough. Barton Fink, uh, same thing as a he's a writer um, trying to do a screenplay or something, and he ends up staying in this hotel, and he ends up befriending this man um, played by John Goodman, 
Um, and it's almost this very mythos type of thing where maybe they're in hell. You know, I don't know. But um, again, I hear it's very good. Okay. But what I was, where I was going with that was, that's quite the filmography. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of movies that people talk about. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. I mean, okay, Fargo won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. No Country for Old Men won Best Picture. And they are literally... No, Fargo didn't win Best Picture. They oh, won, I'm sorry. won Best Screenplay. Best Screenplay. Um, okay, you're no right. No Country for Old Men. Won Best Picture. Won Best Picture. It won... Hold on. True Grit was nominated for Best Picture, I think, wasn't it? I don't know. Um, let me find out. I have the IMDb of what it won. So for the Academy Awards, it won Best Picture. What? Uh, no Country for Old Men. Okay. Best Picture, Best Performance by an Actor in Supporting Role, Best Directing. It did win Best Directing. And Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, it was nominated for a few other things as far as sound mixing, film editing, and sound editing. It was Best Performance by an Actor for Gold Globe. Uh, nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Best Actor for Golden Globe? Uh, best Supporting Actor. Oh, okay. Because we, we had talked about how Javier had yep. kind of swept. Uh, BAFTA was Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, um, Best Director. This, um, this was the second Best Picture Academy Award winner to be produced, directed, written, and edited by the same person. Two people in this case. Do you know who the first was? That's a good question. I want to say it has something to do with Hitchcock, but uh, it was one of the biggest. It was it was the biggest movie, highest grossing movie of all time for a while until Endgame came out. Oh, until oh it's Titanic. Until, until Avatar came out, it was Titanic. Yes, um, the Academy Awards do not allow movies that have multiple directors to be nominated hmm. because they don't want people to just coattails. Mm-hmm. They made an exception for a handful of movies and later decided that if it's an established duo like the Coens, they will allow it. So they did allow them to be nominated in one. And also, Javier Bedem was the first Spanish actor to win an Oscar. Oscar. I was listening to an interview with the Coen brothers about No Country for Old Men and they had talked about them adapting the script and they also kind of talked about you know how because they work together and they do the writing together um most of the heavy battles creatively are probably pretty much filtered out in that process so by the time they get to production there's nothing to argue there's about. nothing to argue about um, you know, they can, they can work and they can adjust and they can, you know, experiment and, and things like that. But it's, it's really, I, and I, I think that there's probably, I don't know if there's a, a difference to that because, you know, they do tend to write their, you know, do their own screenplays and then do it that way. So their storytelling, God, they're, they're just so talented because if they editing. can write it, they edit it, they direct it, they, you know. And it's there's just there's so much you can take in if you're you know want to sit there and kind of pick there's, it apart. There's little things that they put in there too that I'd like to know what this means. 
Um, when Shigura pulls the change from his pocket in the first hotel, mm-hmm. when he was doing the thing that you're talking about with the vent, one of the quarters was painted red. Oh, really? Yeah. Any idea what that means? Uh, I'm and guessing I, that's his death quarter. I don't no. know. <laughs> and I remember this now, but I didn't until I re- had read it. This was a common feature at pinball and video arcades in the late 70s and early 80s. And the reason was, is allowed the arcade operators to identify non-revenue quarters that were given out to customers when a regular quarter was, air quotes, eaten by the machine and not given a credit. Uh, so they would paint a whole handful of them red so that when they would pull them out, they would see, okay, this machine's having a problem mm-hmm. or something. Why would they, why would they put that in there? Did, was, were they trying to get that he, was, he liked video games? Maybe, I don't Maybe know. Maybe he killed someone who was a... Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Crazy. I think, uh, oh, Gary Dillahunt. No, I recognized him from something. Oh, the deputy? Yeah, the deputy. He auditioned for Luella Moss five times before ending up in the Rolls window. (laughs) You know what's funny is, you know, I said what I I said about Josh Brolin not being really the standout in this movie. Yeah. Because he's, I think everybody's kind of overshadowed by Javier Bardem with with the possible exception yeah, but, of Woody Harrelson. But Thanos. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. <laughs> that's that's what I want to say is Josh Brolin, you know, he's Thanos, he's Cable, he's this Llewellyn Moss character. He is, he's a chameleon in that respect because I can watch him in No Country for Old Men and not think a second about Thanos. I didn't either. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, obviously CGI has a lot to do with that, but I wouldn't think a second about Cable. Yeah, you know uh, about that either. So it's it's it, you know he's he's definitely very versatile, but he's you know so I, I no no disrespect to Brolin, but uh, well when, when somebody, saying that he wasn't the standout, but that doesn't mean he's not he's not serviceable in the role. You when know? somebody does a, a, as good a job as Bardem does with Shigur, yeah. it's hard to stand out. I mean, yeah. there's I mean there are lots of movies where you're like, man, that guy was good, but this guy was just fucking awesome. Yeah. It happens. Um, how about we didn't even talk about the fact that there's only 16 minutes of music in this movie. Oh yeah, there is like very little soundtrack and that makes it to me I mean again, uh, I like the fact again this is I think this is something that maybe it's I don't know what the decision was behind it, but I applaud the Coen brothers for letting the audience experience it for, you know what I mean? There's that's usually soundtracks are manipulation in, in their own way. I think you know? it made it me feel more real. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, cause like, like let's take horror movies, for example, mm-hmm. Oh, the music's hitting crazy. Somebody's about to die. Somebody you know, going to get it. They're you know, going to so, be a yeah. jump scare. Yeah. But, but you know, what's even scarier when it's dead silent. Because when you're walking through your house yeah. at night going, is somebody breaking into my house? Right. You don't hear. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, no, we're good because it's happy music. Nobody's going to be breaking in right now. Well, it's funny, too, because somebody else um, in one of the articles that I was reading about this, um, when they were talking about the symbolism, a lot of things like obviously um, one of uh, uh, Shiger's, um conveyances of death with the cattle piece, you know, he doesn't see human life as human life. They're just as much cattle, right? Um, so with this, as far as talking about the the lack of soundtrack, almost gives you a, almost a godlike presence over it, right? Where you're just kind of watching. Um, and, you know, that fate, you, you know, you're there just to, to observe. You're not going to be taken along for the ride. You're 
you're just a passive observer and yeah. that's good enough anything else that you'd like to talk about you want to hit on i don't think so i think we hit on a lot of things here so. i've got a couple of trivia bits that i want to throw out because they're pretty good trivia bits bits trivia of trivia bits. that's the one of them i'm singing one um, of them one of them was it uh that i have here was you hit on it pretty early was the shigura's aversion to blood yep and that we know that he killed her because when he walked out he picked up his feet and looked at him mm-hmm. um so one of the unforeseen expense was they were going over budget and they couldn't figure out why so the cohen brothers went and looked at the the receipts and they found out that they were paying eight hundred dollars a gallon for the fake blood and okay. they were like what the fuck is going on here and the department told him, well, we can't use the cheap stuff because there's a lot of sugar in that. And they goes, what's wrong with that? And then they pointed out the scene at the beginning where they had guys laying on the, de- the ground for hours. They couldn't use, they couldn't, yep, they couldn't use the sugary thing because they're out in the ants. middle of the desert. And they were like, okay, we're get ex- expense, ex- you're going to get ants. <laughs> expense justified. Um, the directors, Joe and, Joe and Ethan, used a photo of a brothel patron taken in 1979 as a model for Anton Sugar's hairstyle. <laughs> when he first saw his new haircut, Javier Bardem said, oh no, now I won't get laid for the next two months. <laughs> the Coens responded by happily high-fiving each other. Bardem's response meant Sugar would look as creepy as they had hoped. Well, somebody, there was, I was listening to one video of somebody's uh, uh, critique of the movie and they kind of said, you know, it's been said that that Sugar is, is a, a character a human, but he's also a concept, right? Because he's kind of fate and death, and like the a, like one of the four the writers. haircut being that shag kind of seventies yeah. long look to his shoulders almost makes it look like the hood of the Grim Reaper. He was a body double yeah. for one of the monkeys. Really? No, <laughs> the haircut. The haircut allowed him to be a body double for one of the monkeys. Get him a tambourine. Yeah. Carla Jean is the only character to talk to all three main characters. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't catch that until I read it. Mm-hmm. In April of 2010, Paramount Pictures was forced to pay Tommy Lee Jones a $15 million bonus when an arbitrator found that the studio's lawyers had made an error drafting Jones' deal to appear in the film. So Tommy said, pay me, bitch. <laughs> all right. These are a couple of my favorite right here. Josh Brolin broke his shoulder in a motorcycle accident two days after getting the part in this film. In an interview with Now Magazine, he recalled thinking, fucking shit, I really wanted to work with the Coens as he flew (laughs) over the car that hit him. His injury turned out to be a non-issue since his character was shot in the shoulder very early in the film. That worked out. And this one was my favorite. Josh Brolin was working on Grindhouse in 2007 when he became drawn to the role of Moss in the film. And he asked Grindhouse director Robert Rodriguez if he could borrow a video camera for his audition tape. And he ended up having his audition elaborately shot with the theatrical camera they were using, (laughs) directed by Quentin Tarantino and with Marley Shelton as Carla Jean. When the Cohen saw saw Brolin's tape, you know what they said? They said, who shot it? No, they said, that's good lighting. That's good lighting. We love the lighting. (laughs) Yes, I heard that. That was part of that whole um, um, interview that I was listening today with with, um, Bardeem Brolin and, and the two Cohens. Um, what, um, Brolin said about, cause the scene where the dog, cause obviously there's a lot of dead dogs in this movie. Um, but the scene where the dog is, ch- the cartel dog is chasing him through the river happened after he hurt himself. Um, and 
he was like in pain doing that scene. Like, oh my God, just I just need to get this over with. But the dog, they said that the dog's name was Scooby. And so the... Perfect. <laughs> the dog's name was Scooby and the handler was like, Scooby, Scooby. And he's like, how am I supposed to take this seriously? Yeah, right. Right. But One when of the them dog, was on drugs. But the, he, he was afraid that the dog was not going to stop coming at him. And he's like, I don't need this. I just screwed up my shoulder. I don't here's, here's some irony. Um, I looked up, it did win Best Picture. I looked up the five movies that were nominated that year. Uh, Michael Clayton. I don't remember what Michael Clayton that was. That was, wasn't that the political movie that had um, George Clooney in it? I was, okay. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Atone, Atonement. I don't remember that. No Country for Old Men. Juno. And There Will Be Blood. Oh, so two Western type movies. There was a day on the set of No Country for Old Men that they had to stop shooting mm-hmm. because they were out in the desert and there was a monster, monster black cloud, fire cloud in the sky. It was the set of There Will Be Blood experimenting with setting an oil rig on fire, an oil derrick. <laughs> Sabotage. They, they, they were filming basically right across the street from each other. Well, they said out in the desert um, when Josh Brolin was saying that they could only film, I think, between like, because as far as the, the cinematographer wanted, he wanted to get the, the right light. Um, so it was like like 4 to 4.30 and 6 to 6.30 in, in the morning, you know, and... Well, and, the lighting was good. Yeah, lighting was great. I mean, plus shooting in a desert's got to be tough. Yeah. It's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. This was filmed in Las Vegas. Okay. New, Me- New Mexico. <laughs> Las Vegas, New Mexico. Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yeah, it wasn't filmed in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, okay. All right. Cool. I have questions. Uh, did you office? want to do box office? I and do. We can do, we'll I do have questions. Uh, I was a little surprised by this, too. Now, it, it was 2007, but it was released on November 9th, I think it was. It was number 70... One. Oh, I wrote it down. I got I got too much stuff on my desk. Okay. Um, I'll look no, it up while no, you no. continue. Well, I got to kind of find it before I can continue. No, number fifty nine. It was okay. number fifty nine for the year, but it was released on November 9th. So in 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 two thousand seven, it made forty one million six hundred fifteen thousand. Overall, it made seventy four million two hundred eighty three thousand. If you if you take all of the money there that it made and you put it in for the year, it would have ended up at 34 um, or 35, uh, just beating out some great movies like Fred Claus and Saw 4. Um, <laughs> the number one movie of the year was Spider-Man 3. Uh, kind of surprised that that's all it made. Hmm. My, maybe not a movie for everybody. It is a rated R movie. Right. Not a lot of rated R movies make over 100 million, and I got to remember that it was 13 years ago. But um, its opening weekend was only 1.2 million. That's garbage wow. for an opening weekend, especially from the Cohen brothers. You know, what I mean, the, yeah. you, got, you got these acclaimed guys that have all these movies. I was really surprised to hear. I don't know what the budget was. I, I didn't look hard enough to find the budget, but um, it was definitely a popular movie. And it, it, you, you're sure it's made money between okay. DVD According sales. According to Wikipedia, the budget was 25 million. Yeah. So yeah, it made it made a hundred and. 
Uh, it made 147 million worldwide. It made uh, 70 some, maybe 160 something, 170 or 70 something mm-hmm. stateside, 90 something um, internationally. So um, that's pretty popular. In 2016, uh, No Country for Old Men was voted the 10th best film of the 21st century as picked by 177 film critics around the world. Of the 21st century. Yes. Okay, Endgame would be number one. Right. Okay, go ahead. Um, and I believe Roger Ebert called this a perfect film. Good enough. He was in love with the Coen brothers anyway. Yeah. You know. So nothing eating your yeah. bird. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Nice. Okay. That's, that's your little segment that you wanted yeah. to start throwing. And you what's, could, what you could do is you, Ebert, is you can tell people, hey, I've got this new thing I'd like to start doing. Well, each I'm week. not there yet. Okay. I haven't like, but that's. You know. How did now? How do you like this movie? But yet he doesn't like. I'm going to get you, sucker. What is wrong with that guy? <laughs> oh, that's just another conversation entirely. Yeah, it is. Do you want to? Um, do questions first? I do have questions. Okay, go for do it. Do you have questions? Okay, so we have this scene where they're in the border town of Del Rio. And Moss escapes from the hotel after a shootout with Sugar. And he's trying to get out. And he jumps into the, uh, as a hitchhiker in the truck. And Sugar shoots the guy through the window, through the throat, the driver. And the car goes slamming into another car and there's another kind of shootout going on. Where the hell is everybody in this town? Yeah, there's nobody. It's they empty. have all this shit that goes on in yeah, the daytime. What, I mean, it's, I understand it's a border town, so sometimes border towns can be a bit problematic because you've got elements from coming across the border, but there's just like nothing. Like yeah, there's a We crash. also don't know what time of the day it is. It could have been 3 a.m. It could have been 2 a.m. Yeah. But I think if you heard a crash outside your window, I mean, there's got, looks like it was a kind of a mixed use area for downtown. You've got to have maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Well, in the book, in the book, that's where the cartel shows up and. Right. Where is everybody? That's a good question. Um, My other question is, um, did he kill the accountant? I say no. You say no. Because he says, do you see me? But we don't get the answer. Um, So I don't know. I don't, I don't think he does. And I tell you why. Mm-hmm. I don't think he does because he had a reason to go kill Stephen Root. Yes. He did it. The other guy stood up and looked at him mm-hmm. and answered his questions. Right. He had a purpose. He right. was supposed to be there. Right. I, I think I, I would tend to agree with you because a lot of when the guy behind the counter at the at the gas station was trying to get out of the situation, he was being very wishy-washy in his answers. Yeah. And that was kind of, slowly ramping up uh sugar as far as like you don't know what time do you close yeah but about dark dark is not a time what time do you close you know and just yeah, he like, says you don't know what the hell you're talking about he said it's 4 30 in the afternoon yeah yeah, yeah you don't the, know the, what the hell you're talking so maybe maybe the accountant stood a chance there um okay you're hunting in the desert how do you not have water on you Do you think it was in the truck? Yeah, probably. Okay. Probably. All right. And then we get the scene where um, Chigurh is in the hotel room. And I, you get the sense it's the same hotel room where they started, not the, not the, like the motel, not the hotel, right? And is that the same motel where he killed the c- cartel? Which scene are we talking about? Um, oh, Chigurh. 
Because okay. after the, the he gets shot in the leg, right? And then he goes and he robs, creates a diversion by blowing up the car, goes and takes what he can take from the pharmacy, and he goes back to the hotel or the motel, right? Is that the same motel where it all started with him trying to find... Help like me he, out. Who, who shoots him in the leg? Ma shoots him in the leg when he tries right. to get into his hotel room. And then after that that day, he, he goes... That's in, right. But, he's, but he's, it's clear he's in the motel um, where he was trying to find Moss and he ends up killing cartel members. Is that all the same hotel? No, I think I think I think that you Okay, the first the first motel is the one that Moss checks into right. and he hides the money and then he goes and he buys the camping equipment and he comes back and he gets prepped. Or right. he comes back and then the 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 he sees the cartel truck. The right. Mexicans were there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then that's when Shagor drives by, catches right. the dinghy dinghy. Right. And goes in and kills the cartel and Moss is on the backside. Right. Then we have the second hotel, the moat, we'll call that the hotel, right. with the hallway scene. Right. And then you're talking right after that scene. He's where, in another motel. Yeah. I think he goes to a different motel because he's not going to be able to go back to that original hotel because there was just a firefight there. Right. The, but the, they the, don't know it's him. Not the, not the original hotel. The the hotel with the, with the hallway scene. He's going right. to go to a different motel and check in okay. because he's not going to go back because there are people that might be able to identify him at okay. that other hotel. I'm right. going I'm going to assume that. I'm I'm going to because okay. in I the book I didn't know it was all the same motel in motel. The, right? In the book <laughs> he goes back to the hotel for 5 days after he gets right. shot. Right. Anyway. So those were my questions. Okay, good enough. Here's my first question. How did the Mexicans find um Moss? How did the cartel I've, find Moss? I think the cartel. I think we had we had this conversation. I think either cartel is able to was able to pull his registration, which would have had his address on it, um, and they probably went through the same process that um, Sugar and Bell went through. Probably went to his home, probably dug more for more information there, because they knew exactly where to find. Because they they went to was it San it wasn't San Antonio. Um, wherever wherever um, Carla Jean went, because yep. they were following Carla Jean yep. too. Yep. So. so they picked up the phone registrate. They picked up the phone, the mm-hmm. bill, and they knew that she was going to stay with her grandmother because they had that address. Um, do you remember how Shigur found Moss? I don't think he... T- I didn't say the phone bill. They they might have found other information. I mean, you they they left in a hurry, so there could be address books, there could be but Letters. but but Moss didn't find Shigor did not find Moss using an address book. He found them with the phone bill, right? No, he found them just crazy. The thing started beeping as he was driving down the road. That's extreme, found, extreme, yeah, random. Oh, oh, that's how he found Moss. That's how he found Moss. But that's not. It's, he found Carla Jean before that, though. I understand that he found Carla Jean. I didn't ask how did they find oh. Carla Jean. I asked how did they find Moss. They found Moss because they, when they were getting going to the bus station or the airport or wherever they were going to, he, when in after that taxi drive where Carla Jean's brother was saying, "I got the cancer and I know he's no good and all that stuff." Yeah, I predetermined it. Um, she, one of the cartel members helped her with her luggage yes. and started talking to her. She told him exactly where they were going. I don't remember that. She told him exactly where they were going because she was pissed off. 
But it wasn't. She not, not that she, she knew, told, she, but, but she was bitching about it. She didn't tell them where Moss was going. She told them where the mother and the grant, where the girl, where, where Carla Jean were going. Right. Right. Okay. That's but, perfect. She had no idea where Moss was. No. Okay. Right. How did they find Moss? Because it's the same location. No, it's not. He was in a completely different town. No, but the, he met him. They met him. They killed him at the location that they knew he was going to. Which was the same location that Carla Jean and her mother were going to. That's I, how he ended up dead. I, I see. I don't. I don't remember the two of them going. We're going to go meet Moss. Yeah, he was gonna, going. He was going to come get Carla Jean when he knew he was safe. He called her from the bus station and he said, "I need you to go to the Sands Motel in blah blah blah, or whatever okay. it was, Desert Inn Motel in this town, blah 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 blah." Okay, I missed that then. Yeah. All right. That's when Jim Beam started kicking in. No, I've seen this before. <laughs> um, well, I also have, you know, who does Shigura work for and why did he hire Wells? And how how did, if that's a building, a 17-floor building, mm-hmm. supposedly, that Stephen Root was working in, how did he get all the way to the top without having shot anybody? Shigura. They would have known, know. right? Because he, exactly, he knew the second he walked in. He was like, oh, my God, that's what he's here for. He would have had security... To the T, to the nines, Maybe. and he had a, he shot him with the shotgun. Right when he was in there, he didn't pull out a pistol. Yeah. I don't know. You don't care because so. nobody, well, nobody, nobody seems to be paying attention to anything going around. So I, th- I don't know. Maybe it's just like selective blinders when you're living in the okay. <laughs> in South Texas. <laughs> yeah, maybe they weren't in Texas. They were in New Mexico. Yeah, but they were supposed to be in Texas. But they weren't. But the the story was that. Oh, in Texas. okay. All right, Mister. So All maybe right. there's not as much. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that scene. I don't remember him telling. See, I was wondering why the hell she was at the scene anyway. Yeah, at the death that's, scene. That's because he called her and said because he he knew Shigur was going to come after her, so he felt his best bet was to try to go someplace where they couldn't track him down. And that's when he called her from the bus station and said, meet me at this hotel. And then he was probably going to give her the money and they were probably going to split up or something okay, like I that. Okay, I got you. All right. So. That would probably be why then that they eliminated the scene. See, now, now I got to read the book. I got to read the book now. Okay. <laughs> um, or three favorite? Um, probably, probably it was like, you can take your gun. Well, I'm behind you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that that whole thing with with Sheriff Bell being a chicken. Um, the coin toss scene was a standout. I think everybody kind of feels that that what coin toss scene the coin to- the first coin toss scene in the gas station. Okay. Um, but particularly, I mean, if you get a chance to watch the scene again, I mean, really watch it and watch Bardeen's performance. It's amazing. But at the end, when he reveals that the guy behind the counter called right. He's like, you know, congratulations or whatever, stuff like that. And he tells him like to take care of the coin. Don't mix it in with the rest of the coins because then you're, it's just going to become another coin. And then he turns around and goes, but then again, it is. And walks out. <laughs> I mean, it's notice, just Notice he so, never paid for his peanuts either. No, well, I would let him pay, you know, I let him take the peanuts and the gas after that, right? Um, yeah, and, that's true. He made a big deal, but don't put it in your pocket. Yeah, don't put it in your pocket. Don't, don't, That's your special get, coin. You know what I mean? Coin spent 22 years getting here. Right. But the whole, you know, but after that, he's like, then it just becomes another coin. 
but that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's just kind of this complete ambiguity at the end because you're building this thing up and then you're, it's just very strange. Good um, uh, the Carson and Chigurh scene as well. Um, and the whole uh, line is, if the rule, like the rule you follow is what brought you here, then what use was the rule? The question he asked Carson. It's just very, his delivery is just, amazing in this film yeah. i just you know well so. he deserved he deserved the awards yeah so we were right along the same lines um my number three was when was the scene between sugar and wells when he kills him right uh my number two was the gas station scene yeah but number one was when you first meet carson wells <laughs> oh shucks yeah, yeah yeah and and i say that oh pardon me bless you bless you pardon me Oof. Gesundheit. Yeah, hey, at least I'm not burping in the microphone. Yeah, um, I, I did that today, sorry. The um, And the reason that I say this is because when I first saw it, I'm like, this is the guy that's going to get him. Sheriff's not going to get him. He's going to get He's going to get him. He's going to be the guy that tracks him down <laughs> because he had that persona. And then you were like, oh. <laughs> oh. Um, I just thought it was... And, and you know, part of it is, is how much I like Stephen Root as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, but Root it was is- just... It's amazing. It was, I, I just thought it was a, that that aura of confidence that he had, I thought he just did a really oh, good yeah. job. Oh, um, yeah. Hold on, I was just saying that stuff like that. There was one where he said, you know, he's a psychopath, but then again, who isn't? Kind of, a, you know, yeah. like, I'm cool, I can handle it. Several, several Guess different what? ones. what? He couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't. He tried to bribe him. He only had 14 grand in the bank. That's pathetic. <laughs> All right. All right. So would you watch this again? Yeah, definitely. Definitely watch this again. Ladies and gentlemen, holy shit. (laughs) Stop the presses. Call Sleepy Joe. Get everybody, get the the world. Everything is right with the world because I picked one that she liked. Hold on. Oh, Oh, Lord. I do declare. SMH. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. He's a coming. He's a coming. Oh, Lord, that's he's a coming. That's the first of the seven seals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad then. you liked it. I'm glad you like it. So now I know you just pick completely dark and fucked up movies. <laughs> Every week you'll be like, I'll watch that shit again. I'll watch it again. Put it on. Play it again, baby. This isn't a contest. This is this. this. Well, good, because my ass will be getting kicked. I mean, I, you've picked movies that I haven't liked, but I've learned to appreciate them. I got you. So all right. That's that's what this is all about. You don't have to like a movie to appreciate it, people. True. Speaking of that, what movie am I not going to like, but I'm going to appreciate this Well, week? you know what? I did have a movie all picked out, but then again, because uh, we watched No Country for Old Men with our dear friends, Barb and Jacob, oh. uh, we decided that we were going to watch together because we picked out this movie oh so long ago after we watched Attack of the Killer Donuts that we decided that we were going to do this at some point. So we are going to watch Dave Made a Maze. Okay. So that's what we're doing, folks. Sweet. Dave Made a Maze. I believe it's on Amazon Prime. It is on Amazon Prime. I hope it's it. still on Amazon Prime. Well, so not, we'll have not, to we're check. We're going to end up owning it. So Yeah. It looks go. a little wackadoodle crazy. So uh, let's hope know. it's good. I don't think it's wackadoodle crazy. From the reviews uh, it gets, it looks like it's pretty solid. But yeah, it's just different. Which is okay. Different is good. Okie day. 
All right. All right. So thank you uh, for what, uh, listening and watching, if you're watching. Uh, another episode of Honey, You Should Watch This. Um, if uh, you'd like to uh, see what we're up to on social media, um, we are on Instagram and Twitter at the handle at Honey Watch This. Um, you can obviously, if this is the first time you've listened to us, we uh, if you if you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Um, we are on all major platforms. If you'd like to see a list of what we've done as well, um, you can also go to um, Honey You Should Watch This uh, and see that as well. Uh, we are just making a small foray into YouTube. So um, if you want to see what we look like and see our annoying interrupting cats and, you know, just some of the cool background stuff we got going on here in the podcast room, uh, you can search for us at Honey, comma, you should watch this. And uh, I think that's about it. Uh, you got anything you want to promote? You want to promote your other cast? Uh, no, just go to, well, maybe. Just maybe. go to uh, YouTube and you just hit the subscribe button for us, please. You don't have to watch yeah. it. Just, it helps us, subscribe, it, it helps us out. Yeah. Notify, whatever yeah. you want. It's going to help us out. Um, you know, we don't do this. We, we're not trying to um, get any money out of this. We were doing this for the pure, sheer love of um, watching movies together and talking about them. And, yep. You know, um, you know, it's a bonding marriage kind of thing. Yep. Uh, I do have another podcast that I do called Top Five for Fighting, where we talk about uh, sports and movies and just j- j- just whatever. It's really a free form. Uh, we talk about events that happen. We talk about movies and comics and sports and uh, credit co- or um, credit cards. Not, not credit cards. Uh, companies, <laughs> just give us your credit card com- information. Companies, companies that are calling us to shut down our to arrest us because our social security number is going to be uh, just all. Just we we just we try to have a good time. It's a little bluer than this one. It's not filthy, but it's it's dude it's it's, it's, type it's stuff. a couple guys. Uh, we are going to have probably a live stream uh, Super Bowl show that we're going to do for a couple hours. We are going to live stream the NFL draft. Uh, just we do we do a lot of different things there. Um, top five for fighting. You can find it the same place you find us. Uh, how do you watch this? And you can find us on YouTube. Also, we got about uh, we got about fifteen videos up there now. So that's it. Okay, daily. Everybody, um, by the time you hear this. You'll know that the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. Watch and cheer for them. If you're from Tampa, good for you. If you're not from Tampa, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> you can see if you're watching us on TV today, I'm wearing my I'm wearing my gear, so go Bucks. And um, that's all I got. That's what we got. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>